Hey, good morning. My name is Brian, and uh, with Highland Park uh, here on staff, and thank you, Ron. And it's been a um, a great weekend. Um, a number of Highland Park people have been in the musical production out at the Broken Arrow Performing Arts Center uh, called My Deliverer. If you haven't been, you should go tonight at seven. Um, Omar's cheering, but he's kind of the reason to be concerned because in the play, he plays the part of, uh, we got a picture here, of Satan. And uh, I was a little concerned to tell people, yeah, Satan's from, from my church. Um, but, uh, but to make up for that, two Highland Park babies kind of offset that. And so we have a picture here of Thea Crosser playing the part of Jesus on Friday. And then uh, Campbell Carlton played the part of Jesus last night. He actually pinched it for another baby who was acting like a baby and couldn't make it. But uh, <laughs> it was cool that, uh, that Jesus was from Highland Park as well. And so that, that's been really, really a fun time. And you ought to go out there tonight if, if you haven't seen it. It's, uh, I've never seen anything quite like it. And so I would encourage you to do that. This morning, if you have your Bibles, you could open them up uh, or find them on your tablet or phone. Uh, Matthew 28 is going to be an important text for us. And I just want to ask you to kind of buckle up and dig in here for a few moments. Uh, we're just gonna, I'm just going to be with you for about 20 or 25 minutes to, uh, to open up God's Word. And I think that He has a word for all of us this morning. On May 3rd, 2002... I went to Wendy's, and that's significant in my mind, not because of how incredible the french fries were that day, although I do tend to like their french fries. It's significant because about eight hours before I went to Wendy's, my first son was born, and I I remember experiencing all of that there at St. John's, just over here on 21st Street, and, and seeing birth for the first time, and holding a newborn baby just minutes old for the first time, and, you know, looking at your child so long, you get a crick in your neck, and changing that first diaper that takes like 800,000 wipes to try to get stuff clean, and all of, all of that that goes with a, a baby. And when I walked into Wendy's, I was just about to explode with joy. And I felt like you ever feel like everybody should know what's going on in your life because you're so excited about something? I'm like, surely everybody knows. Like, I'm a new dad. And so if they did not know, I made sure to let them know. I remember telling the person who took my order, I'm a dad. I had a son. And sometimes a story changes our lives. Sometimes a story doesn't maybe change our lives as much as it should. You know, Christianity is different from every other world religion. If you look at the other world religions, most are built on one person saying, God told me something that he did not tell anybody else, and I'm going to tell it to you, and here's how you should live. Trust me on this one. But you have no way to trust a person other than what the person said. There's no historical proof. There's no eyewitnesses. There's nothing else like that. But then comes Christianity, where even before Jesus comes to earth, we see God interacting with the Jewish people, saying, here's how you can have this covenant relationship with me. And as we read the pages of the Old Testament, we start to see, oh, man, men and women throughout history are broken, and they're sinful, and they're lost, and they need saving, and they need forgiving. And God says, here's a sacrificial system in which you can have your sins forgiven, but there's this sense of like it's not complete. And then we get into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the New Testament and the Gospels, and we realize, oh, 
the Old Testament sacrificial system was pointing us towards something, pointing us to someone. And Jesus comes and says, I am the Son of God. I'm the perfect sacrifice. And I'm here to teach you and to show you this way and to show you here's how much God loves you. He loves you so much that I'm here to die for you. And it wasn't just somebody saying, hey, trust me, God told me this secret that nobody else saw. But we have hundreds, even thousands of eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus and witnesses of the death of Jesus and then eyewitnesses, again, of the resurrection of Jesus. And you put all of that together and you put the manuscript history together that is stronger than any other historical figure of that time. And we're left with not just the greatest story ever told, but the greatest true story ever told. And I love that our faith is not just based on one person saying, hey, trust me on this. I love that our faith is based on a true story that can be verified by witnesses. Now, does that mean we don't need faith? No. But it helps build our faith. A story can change our lives. And I just want to ask you this morning, what will you do with the most important true story ever told? You have a couple options, and I want to walk you through those options this morning. Option one is you can shine it. And I want to get to the text in Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. Jesus been crucified on a Friday, and then you've got a long Saturday for the disciples. And then we come to Sunday. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to him, do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And that's exactly what they did. The women were able to shine the light of Jesus. See, there are those who hear the story and it changes their lives forever. They're the ones who are overwhelmed by love and truth. They work towards forgiving others and loving their enemies and being honest in all situations. They listen to God and his word and they pray knowing God is always with them. They find joy in giving and serving and helping. They tell others about the story that changed their lives. They share with others how to live. The way they speak and the way they act shows people the story. And that is what the women who went to the tomb did. They told others both fearful and excited at the same time, they obeyed. You know, obedience can be a pretty scary thing, yet exciting at the same time. In the Sermon on the Mount, we've been studying that passage, Jesus talks about what happened here. 
and he describes it as being a light. He says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and give praise to your Father in heaven. And if the light of Jesus is here, then we have the opportunity to share his light with the dark world. I, I wish I could have gotten it totally blacked out in here, but you know what it's like when it's totally dark and there's just one light. And one of the amazing things that I still don't quite comprehend is how Jesus lets us be part of his story and says, I'm going to trust you and enable you and allow you to take my light into your dark world, that you can be a light, that I give this to you. You can share it with your coworkers and your school and your friends and your family and neighbors and people you've not even met yet, but you're going to meet tomorrow. And you can take what I've done and share it with others. That's option number one. It's what the women did. You know, the, the women in Jesus' society were disrespected. You know, a, a woman trying to testify in court, yeah, good luck. Why would you trust a woman? That's how many people viewed them. And yet then comes Jesus, and he entrusts the first witnesses. The first testimony is in the hands and hearts of women. Dr. Joe Vitale said, as a woman, I have never met a man who makes me feel more human, dignified, and respected than Jesus. And God chooses you too. Every time you shine the light of Jesus, you become part of the story. And on this Easter day, I want you to know that option one is for you to shine this story in your world, in the world around you. But that's not the only option. Option two, well, let's read on in this story. Verse 11. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priest had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Did you get that? They tried to hide it. They took a bribe. They took money. And so instead of shining it, they tried to hide it. And Jesus says, when you do that, it's, it's like you've got a dark house and you could have a lamp, but instead it's like you take a big bowl and you try to cover it up. You try to hide it and you do everything you can. The truth is we can't make the flame go out. But we can flail around trying. We can try to say, there's no light here, nothing to see here, move along. And there's some people who do this adamantly. Maybe they make fun of anyone for believing. Maybe they, they choose to believe in not believing. Maybe they believe that this whole world is just a big mistake or a big coincidence or something kind of crazy happened. And maybe they believe that when we die, that's it and nothing really matters. It's a pretty depressing way to live. Maybe they even attack people for their faith. Even this morning, I don't know if you saw the news in Sri Lanka, churches bombed, hundreds dead as they worshiped because some people were trying to hide this, to attack this. And yet I promise you this, the light has not gone out in Sri Lanka or anywhere else. 
They ended some, some physical lives, but not spiritual lives. And maybe uh, some people are like the guards, and they kind of have a hunch what the truth is, but they get bought out. They, they, they change their minds. They can't go along with it. You know, they, they could have said, wow, this is actually true. This happened. We were here. We were wrong to be on this side of it, and we're going we're gonna to believe in Jesus. I mean, the, the guards could have been the first witnesses of the resurrection. They could, they could have been written about in the book of Acts. We could be talking about them 2,000 years later. These guards and their lives were changed, and some of them were killed for the faith. Some of them lost homes and families and houses. Some of them ended up being leaders in the first church, and their lives were forever changed. But that's not what we read about the guards. We read they took some money so they would shut up, and they went along with it. And they sacrificed being part of the greatest story ever told for a few bucks. That's an option. We can try to hide it, and we can miss all that God has in store for us, for you. We can put the bowl over the lamp. But there's a third option that I want to talk to you about. It doesn't show up in this text, but it shows up all throughout Scripture. And it goes like this. We can try to, option three is, to warm ourselves with it. You can warm yourself with the light without actually letting it catch you on fire, without actually letting it change your life. See, I'm afraid there's lots of people, especially in our culture. See, unlike Sri Lanka, when somebody here says, I'm a Christian, it's probably not going to get you killed. And so it can be easy to say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I want to feel good about it. I want to feel the warmth of God's love. I want to feel how nice that is. And I want to do a couple of good things. And I want to have, have a nice family or some good friends. And I'm not going to kill anybody. And I'm not going to, you know, rob my business blind and cheat them. I'll do a few good things. I just want to kind of feel God's warmth. But I'm certainly not going to let it change my life. And I'm certainly not going to go out and take it somewhere else. That's not for me. That's for somebody else. That's for those missionary kind of people. There's this third option. I'm a Christian, yet I don't want my life changed. I don't want the candle to burn. I don't want people to see that. I don't want it to change me and melt away all of the stuff in my life that, quite honestly, I want to keep. And because I want to keep it, I'm just going to go with where I am right now. The Scripture has a few examples of this. But Jesus, several times in Scripture, says something like this. They thought they knew me but their hearts were far from me. They thought they knew me, and I said, I don't even know who you are. They, they said, oh yeah, but, but we were with you, and Jesus says, you've never been following me. I've been walking this way and saying, come follow me, and you're somewhere over there saying, yeah, I'm warm enough. I'm just fine, and I'm saying, yeah, love your enemies and forgive when it's difficult and be truthful even when it's going to cost you, and you're over here saying, I'm not going to do that, but I'm still a Christian, right? And Jesus says, mm, nope. Have you been changed by me? Do you allow me to still speak into your life and to change you? 2 Timothy 3, Paul is talking about these terrible times, which he says, has begun even in his day and continues to this day. He says, people will be lovers of themselves, 
Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Catch this phrase. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Warming themselves. Like, yeah, this is my godliness as I'm close enough, right? In Revelation, Jesus writes some letters to some churches. And to one of the churches, he says, you've forgotten your first love. And because you've forgotten your first love, I'm going to remove the lampstand from you. There's no use even being close to you because you refuse to be changed by it. In one of the other letters to one of the churches, Jesus says, you are lukewarm. You're not hot and you're not cold. I would rather you just be cold and admit it. Because what's dangerous for our culture to see is to someone say, I'm a Christian, and to not be on fire. It would be better just to say, I'm not a Christian, because at least that doesn't confuse people. At least here they know where we stand. And Jesus says, I want you to either be on fire or just don't pretend like you are. We have three options of what do we do with this story. This is one of those stories we can't sit on the fence. We can't say, yeah, I kind of follow Jesus. I kind of believe in Jesus. I kind of believe in the death and resurrection. It's either yes or no, and it changes and, and drives our lives, or it doesn't. In 1921, David and Svia Flood went to the Belgian Congo, deep in the heart of Africa, to join another missionary family to reach an unreached people group in this village. And they had great aspirations, and they went with their, their young son, and joined this other family, and their goal was to help these people and to care for these people and to love these people and help these people uh, know Jesus and know the love and forgiveness and peace and the joy that could come with that. And yet the people that they were trying to reach would not even let them come into the village. So they set up camp outside of where they were, and they kept hoping that they could break through and come in, and they, they never were allowed to come. Only one little boy from the village would ever come see them, and they got to know him and befriend him, and they even got to teach him about Jesus and God's love for him, and that was kind of it. And then Sophia um, became pregnant, and during her pregnancy, she contracted malaria. And the other missionary family decided things were too hard, and they left, so they were there on their own with a little boy and the wife pregnant and with malaria, and several days after giving birth to their little girl, Aggie, Sophia passed away. And David was left in the heart of Africa with nobody he knew burying, burying his wife in the dirt. This little makeshift grave. He buried her and he took his baby and his little boy and made his way back to the missionary post. And he found a family and he said, can you care for my daughter? I can't. I'm done. God has turned his back on me. And he went back to his home in Sweden with his son, where he remarried um, and went through several different relationships, had several kids, but really was committed to drinking more than anything. And he ruined his life for years and years. Fast forward to when he's 70 years old. His daughter, Aggie, all this time had been raised by this missionary family. They ended up at some point moving back to America and she uh, grew up loving the Lord and having a faith of her own that became her own faith and not just her adoptive parents' faith. And 
One day she went to get the mail uh, for her mom, and she, there happened to just be this magazine in there, and she flipped it open, and it fell open to a page that had a grave with the name of her biological mom on it, Sophia Flood. She realized there was a whole story about her mom that she, had never, she never knew. She knew where she came from, but she didn't know any kind of updated story. And, and it wasn't even in the language she could read. So she took it to somebody and she said, can you translate this for me? And they translated it for her. And she immediately began making plans to go to Sweden to find her, her biological dad and her siblings. And she found her siblings and she said, I, I, I got to tell you that I got to find dad. And they said, that's not going to go very well. She said, I got to try. And they said, okay. And so they set it up and she walked into an apartment littered with beer bottles and depression. When he took one look at her, he began weeping and just saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but God turned his back on us. And she said, no, he didn't. Because you don't know the story, Dad. That little boy that you and Mom shared your faith with has now won over 600 people to Christ in that village the whole village has been changed. Love and forgiveness and warmth has flooded that village because of you and mom, dad. Her death wasn't in vain. You being there made a difference. And before that night was over, David Flood was a believer again because he realized God hadn't forgotten him. And for some of you, you've been living in this story of feeling like God has forgotten you. And I want to remind you that he has not that you are on his heart and his mind and he cares for you and life may be difficult, painfully difficult right now. I want to tell you this. Do not give up. God loves you and he's reaching out for you and he cries for you and he loves you. Do not give up. And if you've been the person who's tried to hide it or just get warmth from the story, today is the day that everything can change for you. That God is not standing back there being like, yeah, I've had it with you, forget, forget it. Just like with David Flood, he will welcome you back into his arms in a heartbeat. And that's exactly what he wants to do. This morning, we're going to sing a song. And either during this song or maybe right after the song is over when we're dismissed, you're welcome to come up to one of these front rows. Um, we'll have uh, some folks from our prayer team that would be glad to pray with you and visit with you and talk about what it means to come back into the arms of God. And so you can come while we're singing this song or you can come again when this song is over and people are leaving, you can come on up just quietly with somebody. We'd be glad to talk with you and pray with you. If you would, would you stand with me? God, we thank you for being the light of the world, for giving us joy and hope when we deserved none. And so, God, for anybody who feels like you've forgotten them, would they be reminded today that you're alive and you want to be alive in their hearts today? In Jesus' name, amen.